Welcome to the Cannabis Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Earl Carruthers, and I have been a serial cannapreneur in the growing, processing, and retail space for over eight years. And we are here to learn together to get a well-balanced understanding of cannabis and cannabis products. Tune in every week for quality cannabis education for your canna inspiration. Cool. We are live. Hello, hello, hello out there. Welcome to the Cannabis Show, brought to you by Cannabis Therapy Network. This is the series, Cannabis Connect, where we help budding entrepreneurs who are in the industry or looking to get into the industry connect, share resources, and learn from each other. And we have some special guests today. Yes, we do. We have some great guests. This is an interactive show, so you are more than welcome to chime in. Say hello in the comments. Say what up, though, to me. Uh, say hello to me. I say hello back to you. I can't really see you, but if you uh, log in with StreamYard, uh, we can get names and hello. Otherwise, it just says Facebook user. Hello to a couple of you out there. Yes, yes, yes. This is the Cannabis Connect show, and we're going to be talking about your ultimate guide to becoming licensed to grow weed. Yes, weed, marijuana, in the top four states. What four states that is? We're going to talk about that in a minute. But in the meantime, I'm going to do a quick introduction of who we have coming on so you guys know who these guys are I'm talking about. We have Aaron Pelly, we have Ted Bernard, and we have Mio Asami. I didn't even ask how to pronounce your names before this show, so hopefully I got it all right. Um, all good, all good, all good. No luck. Uh, so Aaron, uh, Aaron has uh, earned a reputation for being an effective high-profile litigation um, attorney, and he, is uh, he has represented cases to convey his ability to handle diversity, complex legal matters. That's cool. That's cool. Let me read some more stuff about Aaron. He played an active role in the cannabis law for over a decade. He helped build the foundation for legal protections in medical cannabis law and is leading advocate for the cannabis business. My man, Aaron, uh, for Cultiva Law. Yes, yes, yes. And we also have Ted in the house. Ted is a seasoned business, securities, tax, and regulatory compliance attorney with a professional career spanning over two decades. Tons of knowledge here. Also with Cultiva Law. Hopefully I'm saying that right too. We're going to get, when they come out, we're going to be all good. We're going to be all good. Um, and then we have Mio. Uh, Mio uh, was born in LA and was raised in Seattle. Grew up uh, sharing time between United States, Tokyo, and Japan. That's what's up. Worldwide knowledge. Uh, following an unconventional path, she possesses the background in transactional business law, intellectual property law, and videography. A little twist right there. A little twist. Um, he was licensed attorney in California with a focus on uh, Los Angeles, uh, aiding businesses to navigate licensure and develop in an emerging industry. Long story short, these people know their shit. Um, how about that? Um, I think that is the crux of it all. But without any further ado, let me let me bring them on here. Boom. Let me see if you see some faces. The faces. Yes. Uh, make sure we got some unmute. Unmute. Hey, Ted. Hello. 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 Welcome. 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 Can you guys hear me yep. good? I can. Awesome, yeah. Thanks awesome. for having us. Awesome. 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 So hopefully those bios were uh, my short bios. there were pretty cool. We're kind of on point. Were we good? We're good. Yeah. 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 Cultiva law. Yep. Mm -hmm. Cultiva law. Now that's based out of what state? 
Um, we're in California, Oregon, and Washington. I, I'm in Oregon. Aaron Pelly is in Washington, and Mio is in Washington and California. Awesome. 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 So you guys, you guys have a lot of, uh, there's, there's Aaron. What's up, Aaron? Sorry about that. I'm having technical difficulties here. I, uh, I was moving my computer for the camera and I just died. So but I'm back on another computer. I'll make it work. We, we never have tech issues since COVID in the Zoom era. Tech it just works so great. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's awesome. Welcome Seamless back. I'm, uh, I'm glad you're an overcomer. You did miss my great um, intro of you. I see you won a lot of awards here uh, since 2014. Oh, um, I only you. thought, what happened? what happened in 2013, brother? I mean, what happened? I'm, uh... <laughs> I had to build up to it. Okay, okay. Awesome, I was a awesome. rising well, star at that point. I love it. I love it. Well, without any further ado, I like to kind of jump into what we're going to get into. Um, and to the audience that's out there um, watching this live, if you have any questions as we dig into um, the ultimate guide to becoming licensed to grow weed, um, we're talking about uh, Oregon. We're going to talk about Washington and California. And I'm from Michigan, so I could throw a little bit of Michigan knowledge in there as well. Uh, but these are the top four states uh, that we believe in a biased way because we represent these states. Uh, but nevertheless, you're more than welcome to ask us questions as we go. If it's something that is relevant to what we're talking about at the moment, we will answer it right then and there. Um, if not, towards the end of the show, we'll have just a general Q&A um, if everybody can still stick around and we'll be good. All right, so what I'd like to get into, panel, here is kind of get into um, how to apply for a license, um, kind of get into some of the step-by-steps on how to apply, um, and then kind of get into why cannabis business applications seem to be on the rise. I want to get you guys' insights on is it making it, is it all of a sudden easier, or is it more because of supply and demand? I want to kind of get into that. I'll get your insights on that. Um, and then once you get licensed, um, kind of what you need to do to get your facility. Because um, in a lot of states here, like in Michigan, it's, it's a two-step. One, you got to get pre-qualified. Step two, you got to get your business um, in that facility qualified. And kind of what it takes from a grow point of view, uh, what is needed to meet regulations, whether it's fire, whether it's uh, spacing, security, all that jazz, all, all the, the good, knowledgeable, 300,000-page application information that we need. Um and then um, we're going to get into any other special requirements that's for California, Oregon, Washington, Michigan, uh, as you think we should know in order to successfully uh, get an application in. All right. I said a lot. How's that sound? Sounds good. Sounds great. Good here. Sounds good. All right. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, first thing is that I kind of want to know, do you see that a lot of home growers because there's a lot of applications now. It seems to be a trend. Do you see a lot of, there's a transition for those who are kind of growing naturally at home or maybe in their closets or maybe they grew in some different warehouses and now they're coming out of the traditional market and now coming into this more regulated market. Do you see that transition happening? Should we, uh, I can start. For, for Washington. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. You know, we'll let you yeah, start yeah, every so time. I want to say yes, at least um, there's, I, I see a lot of interest in that and there's a lot of growing interest in that. Um, 
it's a little bit more difficult and it's a lot easier said than done, at least in California, um, which is all I can speak to. But uh, California also does um, allow for personal grows. So that kind of helps people still maintain whatever they have at home without having to go through the entire application process. Um, although in that context, you can only grow for yourself. And um, so it's a little different from actually being able to, you know, grow and sell your weed and actually like make profit off of it. But um, I definitely do see a different, like a transition, or at least a growing interest to transition from home grows to the actual business. Okay. Okay. Um, what about other states over there? How about Oregon? Yeah. Uh, in, in Oregon, it's, it's somewhat similar to what Mio um, described down in California. Uh, you know, personal use and growing is legal uh, up to, a, you know, a few different, a few plants basically. And we also have a history of um, the medical program uh, in the state that's been around for a, a very long time, more than a decade. And um, so uh, there's a lot of people that come from either the home grow or the medical side that are wanting to get into the licensed regulated um, side of, of the industry. I would say that we probably saw more of that happening in like the 2015 to 2018 uh, timeframe after recreational became legalized. And there, there was a lot of um, uh, effort that went to bringing those people into the licensed and regulated market. And uh, I think Oregon, relative to some of the other states, has kind of lower barriers uh, in terms of cost and, and, and requirements to, to get into the licensed market. And so the, um, um, we're still seeing that, but a lot of it's already kind of happened. So um, we're, we're seeing more larger scale people kind of come into the market now. So that's that's what it looks like in Oregon. Okay. How about you or Aaron? Aaron, you still there? Can you Aaron? hear us? It's okay, Aaron. I know you're looking at me and uh <laughs> <laughs> he's like, Why why are we laughing at him right now? Uh, it's all good. If you if you if you if you pick up sound Aaron at uh at any point, uh Hey, why don't you get like some words, like some signs? I'd be like, Aaron, <laughs> now speak. <laughs> you just staring at me. Come on, you're in the top 100 attorneys. Come on, bro. this is like 2013 now, man. You still learning the ropes? No, it's all good. He can't even hear me. I could talk mad shit right now. Uh, but <laughs> it's all good. Uh, nevertheless, we're gonna keep moving. Keep moving. Now, do you feel like? Uh, now, I feel like a lot of people don't understand how intimidating that it is when you're trying to go from say in this instance, we're talking about somebody who was grown at home or has some small growing experience. And now they're trying to get into this regulated market. It can get a little intimidating or do you think it's a little bit more simpler now? Um, maybe five, six years ago, it was harder. Is it easier now? Can you kind of speak to that? Has it been easier now in your state? Um, at least for California, I want to say that. So, you know, California made, medical legal back in the 90s right and so people who were actually um selling under those um under those laws it was a lot easier back then <laughs> um and their licensing process now is it's a hot mess to say the least um wow. there's a lot of requirements there's a lot of um a lot of hoops that you have to jump through um, in order to get an actual license. Um, so, I mean, I would say it's not simpler. It's actually a lot more complicated, at least in California. Um, 
and I and, and I, I think it is intimidating, um, especially I mean exactly because there's so many loopholes that you or not loopholes, but there's so many you know obstacles that you have to go yeah. through, um, and it's they don't make it easy. Um, you need to get, I mean, a lot of these applications kind of require a whole team um, in order to actually complete a full application and, you know, to at least um, make it so that you're more likely to get a license. Um, and those licenses aren't guaranteed either. So, um, yeah, it, I would say it's, it's, unfortunately, it's not simpler. It's a lot more complicated in California. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Right. I'll chime in on Oregon here. I, I think Oregon's actually pretty much stayed the same over the course of uh, since legalization. Um, it, it, it compared to California and even Washington to some degree, Oregon's relatively straightforward. It's sort of a one-stop shop where you get your regulatory approval at the at the state level rather than the local level. And all you have to do at the local level is is sort of your land use uh, compliance and making sure that the uh, buildings and the things like that are are, are in in accordance with the local land use laws, but uh, uh, it's, it's fairly simple. Uh, I'm not going to say it's, you know, it, it's, it's trivial, but it's um, a, a relatively short application, a, a modest fee and uh, fairly quick turnaround on, on the applications here. In fact, it was so easy for a while that the state of Oregon actually put a moratorium on uh, new applications for a while in, in 2018, because so many people, just what we were talking about, were trying to get into the, the industry. And it, it took a little while for the regulatory agency, the OLCC, to get caught up. And so um, I, I, my personal opinion is that between Oregon, Washington, California, Oregon um, is probably the the quickest and most streamlined of the processes now it's far from far from perfect but uh that's that would be my two cents on that when um you say a quick turnaround like maybe like three six months or yeah a year? yeah yeah um for a while it, i mean that the, when they froze the applications they put everyone into a, a queue who was seeking a, a processor license a, a grower license i mean and a producer license and uh that was in 2018 and so some people were waiting around for uh, until this year, actually, to get those licenses um, done. But uh, at the end of last year, the OLCC really um, made it a point to get through that queue and uh, cut the turnaround times down radically. And so now it's exactly what you said. Um, it, it, the, the turnarounds are sort of two, three, maybe four months uh, tops for, for new applications. And we're starting to see that there sometimes they drift up towards six, but it's it's way less than uh, it used to be. So, yeah. Man, I might give me a plane ticket. Um, <laughs> <laughs> start coming over to the Oregon. I don't there you go. Yep. Oregon football team, all that. I'm become an Oregoner. Um, yeah, good <laughs> yep. <laughs> what's, what's up, Aaron? You back, man? I don't know how long I'll be here for. My internet's being being uh, wildly this 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 day, but um. All right, so Washington is terrible. It's the, it's the <laughs> is it as bad as the internet is application. I mean, in Washington, we uh, we jokingly say uh, they regulate cannabis like they regulate plutonium. Um, it's uh, you're you're required to have six months proof of residency because they didn't want a bunch of out of staters taking it over. We were one of the first two states, so they didn't want people coming from all over. Um, they make you prove your state residence. Um, you used to have to prove your wife's state or spouse's state residence. Um, they do a forensic uh, accounting of where your money came from, who you got it from, how you got it. Uh, you have to be, you know, like all the other states, you have to be a thousand feet away from everything. And then um, 
and then criminal history, if anything uh, over 10 years for felony is a couple of years. So um, it's it's not the, uh, it's not as far as the application process goes, it's it's pretty invasive in that they ask a lot of questions about, you know, your where you've lived for the last 10 years, what you've done and stuff like that. But it's, uh, it's not, it's also um, similar to California. We only have a finite number of licenses. And so nobody's applying for a license in Washington anymore. They're like, taxi medallions. You you either got one or you didn't back when they first gave them out. And now uh, they buy and sell on the open market. So the largest licenses for growing um, are currently, like this time last year, they were selling it for about 150,000. Um, as of today, they're going for about 400,000. So there's also this huge uh, barrier to entry in terms of price um, because there's only so many licenses available and, and market demand uh, change the, the price as it goes. Now, is, is, is there home grows um, in Washington? Home grows are not allowed in Washington State. Um, and despite the fact that we've tried to get it on uh, the, uh, the uh, I, I think, pretty, I, frankly, I think that actually the cannabis industry doesn't want it, right? They don't want the competition. They want, they want this all within the licensed uh, sort of. Uh, so actually, it's lobbyists in the cannabis industry that kind of prevent home grows from happening. Yeah, which is, you know, that's a whole nother fallacy of argument. It's not like if I can make beer, beer in my basement, I'm, you know, competing with Budweiser yeah. here, right? It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and just and to, to, to jump in real fast, to, by contrast, I didn't say this explicitly, but to the points Aaron was making about Washington versus Oregon, Oregon doesn't have any finite number of licenses that are available. They can keep printing them as, as long as they... Um, want, and they also don't have a residency requirement for investors. So out-of-state investors are welcome as well. So. No. Hello? Did you also, this time I didn't get frozen. Now it's Earl. Oh, he's frozen. <laughs> You, Aaron, you timed your freeze perfectly. You're staring right at the camera. It was great. <laughs> it was perfect. It was good eye contact. Well, I was, it, was. I was convinced. it was great. <laughs> um, it's not easy to stare at that camera and, uh, and, and you have a conversation. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hmm. <laughs> well, <laughs> we can just keep talking. I mean, I know what I was going to talk about. You want to just kind of guess what I mean, I, I will say, okay, so California Maybe. also doesn't technically have a state finite number. <laughs> um, it doesn't have a finite number of state licenses, but like locales will limit their number however much they want. So it's just a whole different, I mean, every, I feel like the entire process is very different. So it makes it very difficult. But both I mean, California and Oregon, you guys both have to get uh, local approval in order to get mm -hmm. licensed. And, and before you can even go to the state and say, give me a license, you guys have to have some sort of um, local approval, right? Whereas Washington, they're like, they give you the license and then they say, well, go get your local approval. Good luck. And so they don't really care what the locals say, which is a weird and, mm -hmm. and kind of a backwards way of approaching it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean I think it's a little different in the, in between California and Oregon, what you said is accurate, Aaron, but like in Oregon, all you do is you get the land use certificate from the local county planner okay. uh, and you submit that with your application and it's all done at the state level. Whereas California, it, I, I get, it seems way more complicated than that. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, it's basically a whole second license that you have to get in California because yeah. the local approval is like 
pretty much mimics the state requirements. Um, so you basically have to submit your application twice, um, which means two application fees, two license fees, two everything. So, yep. Right. So that's where the caps come from in, in California, right? Where it's like yeah. California at the local level, they'll cap it, but California at the state right. level is like, still has that laissez-faire approach of, well, how many licenses they, they allow for? Right, right. And I, I think there's, I mean, even at the state level, um, I think for cultivation licenses alone, I think I saw there was one company that had like, I want to say upwards of like 90 small cultivation licenses for themselves. Um, yeah. So because they limit, the, at least for cultivation, they limit the number of, um, of medium size which is the biggest size that they're currently giving, which is up to 22,000 square feet of canopy. Um, but wow. every applicant can only have one medium size, but they don't limit the number of smalls. Um, so small is between, I think it's somewhere between 5,000 and 10,000 square feet of canopy that you can have. Um, so people just get stack their small cultivation licenses um, cool. for their land. So, yeah. So welcome back, huh? Okay. Well. <laughs> Hey, Earl. We're worried about this. You know, I'm sitting here talking all this shit about Aaron and his, <laughs> uh, and, his uh, and his and his internet and my laptop wasn't plugged in. Oh, oh my no. laptop died, man. I'm sitting, I'm sitting. No, no, I got. We kept it going. Real quick. Yeah. I know. I, 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 you know what's funny is so. I, real quick, funny. Real quick. So I had. Um, I did this homegrown weed summit where we were interviewing 25 different experts in home growing and. One of the um, experts uh, was Tommy Chung. Now, Tommy Chung is known to be a great talker and, and he continues to talk. So this is one of my second interviews, my first time ever actually doing these type of interviews. And I'm going on, you know, it's my biggest interview, you know, really the, the biggest influencer in this whole summit. I'm having this conversation, we're getting into it and my laptop dies. It was my first time oh. ever <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, he's gonna get so mad. This, you know, who am I? And it's Tommy Chung. You see, I, I get everything charged back up. I turn it on, and he is still talking as if I was never here. It was, it was, it was, it was great. But thank you, thank you, thank you for, uh, thank you for that. Um, all right. So uh, my next question was going to be, and with these type of license um, barriers to entry. Um, for medical and recreational, can you speak to your markets as far as despite these barriers, um, in spite the limitations for licensing um, or the influx of licensing, can you speak to how that reflects on your guys' market size on medical and recreation? And we can start with California first. Um, so, I mean, at least I think I mean, I, I, as far as like the type, so there's different types of licenses that you can get in California um, and cultivation is surprisingly not the most popular license. Um, everybody wants to do retail or um, the most licenses that um, that I know exist out there are the distributor license. And that might just be because it's easier to get. Um, when it comes to cultivation licenses, you have to submit I mean, there's a lot of environmental laws that you have to comply with, and there's a lot of just the application process itself has a lot of barriers to entry. Um, so I think, I mean, it, in turn, that makes a hot market for cultivators if they want to, you know, get a license and then they're they don't have very much competition. Um, 
at least as much as you know other licenses out there. So. Okay. Um, in in Oregon, um, but by nature of the fact that that it's sort of an unlimited number of uh, licenses that can be granted. We, we actually had a gigantic oversupply uh, problem. First of all, the state is not as populous as as, as Washington or California uh, at, at all, but we do have really good um, uh, um, property for, for growing, farmland for growing high quality uh, product. And so uh, what, what I was mentioning before about the moratorium that they put on there, that was actually because there was a huge disconnect between the amount consumed within the state and the uh, amount produced. It was at one point, there was actually 10 times as much produced as was consumed in the state during the, during the year. And so they, they had to figure out what to, what to do to get around that uh, to um, sort of let the demand catch up at, without, without compromising the ethos of making sure that the, uh, it, th that everyone who wanted to could get into the industry. And so that's how they, that's why they, they put that hold on applications for a while. Um, I would say that within the last year or two, the, and, and so that had a terrible impact on the price uh, and uh, it drove a lot of people out of the industry. I would say within the last year or two though, the prices have stabilized and sort of the, the people who really didn't know what they were doing have, have a little bit been weeded out and there's a much closer balance uh, between the, the uh, production and the consumption in the state. And one other thing that I'd point out about Oregon too, is that uh, be, because of the fact that we have good, good growing uh, land for cannabis, uh, but a small population, we've always been looking to sort of export uh, product to other states. And, you know, that's federally not allowed right now, but we did in the last legislative session pass an export bill that basically tees us up as soon as it's, permissible internationally or federally into other states. Uh, Oregon already has granted permission to, to start the export process and things like that. So um, I think people are, are, are optimistic and hopeful that uh, that in the not too distant future, we'll be able to uh, share some of the high quality Oregon weed with with different different parts of the country or the world. Which I believe the, the argument makes sense to where, you know, why set up a whole new infrastructure when there's plenty of states that you can, I guess, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Shipping we as if they don't do that already. All right, not talking about that. Um, nevertheless, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about Washington? Um, how's the medical and rec market over there? Um, yeah, it's it's uh, similar to to um, Oregon's growing pains. We kind of went through a dip where where prices uh, were not stable, um, and then prices again. There was just more cultivators. Than were needed so it, it drove the price down for a while and it, it and so the retailers were really successful um for about four or five years and the cultivators just kind of slowly um a lot of them just uh washed out uh or, or just couldn't main stay in the market at the price that things were were selling for and uh by virtue of that and again because there's only so many licenses they weren't renewing or reselling those licenses although a lot of licenses have resold um at the end of the day enough people kind of left the market that now it's stabilized and and people can get what they consider a decent price and still um, get it to the consumer for a decent price, uh, and so uh, that that part is good. I would say with regards to medical cannabis, um, there were there, it's very fractured. I don't think that there's um, much of a medical cannabis community left in Washington. Not to say that there's none left, but it's certainly not as robust. And I would I would say arguably 
that the recreational community is a little bit hostile towards them and, and vice versa. They're hostile towards the recreational community. Um, it's not a, um, it's by several different factors that, that create that, that uh, tension between those two groups. Um, but, uh, but I would say that the they're, they're, they basically folded most of the medical market into the recreational market, and I don't know that the medical market necessarily appreciates that. Understood. Now, when uh, we say prices from a growth standpoint, could you say what the average um, price per pound you say will go for wholesale from a grower to a retailer if you're looking to get into the licensed market? Is it different for medical and recreational? If so, what what would you I guess say? Is the I know it functional weights year to year, depending on the seasons, all that jazz. But can you give a ballpark number? I mean, I know at Oregon it was ridiculous. I remember it was like at one point you could get an eighth for like five bucks um, because it was just so much production. That was back in 2017. Yeah. Um, I think most most indoor growers are trying to get somewhere between three and five dollars a gram, and most okay. retailers are trying to three x that. So if you're selling at five dollars a gram, you're you're trying to sell like a really premium indoor grow, <clears throat> and if you're down between one and three dollars a gram, you're usually you're an outdoor um, grow, and and that's kind of the quality of cannabis. Okay. Yeah. I don't think you can really keep your doors open if you're an indoor grow, and you're paying for all the electricity and all the work to, to create a premium cannabis, and you're selling it for below three dollars a gram. It's just not functional. They just That's put too much enough. money into doing that. Yeah, now do um, you, you see a difference between like craft, like small batch cannabis um, versus mass produced, say a 10,000 plant grow um, and their say mediocre quality? Is there still a uh, demand for more of the craft um, quality that may be paying a little bit more premium in any of their states? I mean, I think in Oregon, there's definitely a bias towards the craft, high, high quality, locally sourced or, you know, organic, uh, high, high quality stuff, and people are willing to pay a, a premium for it. Um, it's sort of a weird discussion because the prices were so low that I'm not sure what exactly the premium meant, but uh, there, there's definitely a bias towards <laughs> and kind of against um, large national, you know, huge scale uh, grows. And, and many of the Many of the businesses here are are uh, family owned and, and closely held types of businesses. So yeah, definitely. I mean, cool, in, cool. retailers in Washington tell me that they want that um, and they push it. Um, and there are people like that, but they uh, the retailers, especially in the city, in the city, uh, tell me that most people come in and they ask for the highest THC content at the lowest price, I mean, which is a really weird way to approach it. Cause you're like, I want moonshine. And you're like, no, actually, I'd like a scotch. Um, but everybody's different, you know? So you got to think about the average consumer. They're, they're younger than me. They're, they're different than me. So they, uh, they might, they're looking for different things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, some of that is also just kind of the, the media hype of TAC too. And not understanding the whole, whole plant, you know, cause you can have right. low TAC and, higher in other, you know, CBN or uh, TACA, you know, other things, but I don't go there. Um, nevertheless, um, now I, I kind of want to get into, uh, we got an idea of what the market's like and then how, or how intimidating some of the applications could be. Um, as far as getting pre-approved um, in your state, can we speak to some of the requirements? If I'm coming as a home grower, growing in my, um, in my house, I'm like, you know what, I think I want to get into this legal market. Um, 
but I know I need to kind of get pre-approved. Almost like going to get a house. Uh, I need to get pre-approved for this mortgage. Uh, what does it take to get pre-approved in your state? And as always, uh, we can start in California first. <laughs> um, so actually, well, in California, it's not necessarily pre-approval. Um, the entire application is just kind of this giant package that you submit in. Um, and as far as like individual ownership type of approval, it's just they require fingerprinting so they can do a background check. Um, but that's really the only, and they kind of ask for um, like proof of funds, depending on your locale. Um, they just want to make sure that you, you know, your bank statements or your tax returns or something like that will show that you have um, the ample funds to run your business um, because they just don't want to, they don't want to just willy nilly give these licenses out um, if, you know, the, the place is just going to go bankrupt in however many months. So um, as far as that, I mean, you know, individual ownership goes, it's just background check, um, proof of funds in some manner. Um, and then, you know, you pay your fees and that's pretty much it. Is there is there anything that they're, um, they're looking at in the background um, that would disqualify you or is it? Um, technically, they're not allowed to use any type of criminal history as the sole reason for um, rejecting an application. Although it's really because, you know, we're dealing with a bureaucracy, they can they can <laughs> they can give whatever reason they want for rejecting your application. Um, but they, there are specific crimes that they look for. So if you have like violent crimes or if you have um, crimes that involve um, selling drugs to minors or things like that, that would be a little bit more concerning for the business side of running a cannabis business. Um, they do put a little bit more weight on that. Um, but as far as, again, officially, they're not allowed to use your background check and your criminal history as the sole reason for rejection. Okay. And then for the finances, is there a certain amount that they're looking for? Um, it really depends on the city. Um, some places require because they, you know, when you submit your application, you have to submit kind of your entire business plan of how much is, you know, your expenses and how much it's going to cost for your startup, um, for your build out and to run your business for a certain number of months. Um, some places require you to show that you have enough to run your business for three months and some places require you to show that you have enough for a year or, you know, it really depends on the, on the locale um, for the city or for the county um, and how much they're asking for. Okay. Mm -hmm. How about Oregon? Uh, so hearing, hearing both Aaron and Mio talk, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy I'm in Oregon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's way more streamlined down here. They really, um, they don't, they don't ask for, um, any of the, th there's no business plan requirement. There's no, um, wow. settling requirement for the money, tracing the source of the money or anything like that. There's really just two, you know, two aspects that they look, three aspects. One, there's a $250, uh, non-refundable application fee, uh, for the application. Uh, two, uh, we have the same background checks that uh, that, that they have in, in California and in, in Washington, uh, fingerprinting and, and background check. Uh, generally, the types of things that would disqualify you are, you know, felonies that are either violent crimes or, or drug related felonies. But even even that uh, has some level of discretion. If they're a few years back, uh, it's kind of up to the OLCC to to decide whether it, it, it it's not an automatic denial um, in most cases there. And then beyond that, uh, all they really look for is uh, that you have the property lined up, uh, either under a lease agreement or that you own 
the property that you're going to be using. And in Oregon, the whole application process is sort of centered around the property and the application is tied directly to the property, not uh, so much the business or the the uh, owner. And so, you know, when people are applying, a lot of times they, they try and get the cart ahead of the, the, the horse and uh, submit their application and then figure that like they would in California or Washington, go go line up the property or submit the land use certificate or things like that. Uh, the OLCC won't even really look at your application until you have have property, you know, under legal contract and have gotten the local approval. But beyond that, there, it, it, that's pretty much it uh, uh, in terms of there's no again, there's no residency requirement. They don't look at how financially viable your business is or or anything like that. So um, at least to yeah, a, a lower barrier to entry, I think. Man, you might have a lot more people starting moving to Oregon after this conversation. Is there, I mean, actually speaking of property, is, is there, um, because it's so open out there, is the property now, say, yeah, sold at a premium or is it yeah, still? Like, it is. It is. I mean, that's a great um, point. That's that's where sort of the pricing gets built into this is there's a pretty intense competition for good look, uh, sites that are properly zoned that would be good production locations and uh so um yeah i mean people are being pretty creative and i mean there is there is a large area of it but uh the the initial land grab has sort of happened and you have to be you have to that's probably the hardest part of the whole process here is is finding a good location that that's properly zoned man we need the george jetson area to come up man as we start building stuff in the sky uh Aaron, I feel like I feel like you're about to just spoil uh, all of our. Uh, qua- uh, what does it take to get pre uh, pre? Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the licensing all happened back in like 2012, and then there was another round in 2015. So you can't even really apply anymore for a new license. You have to buy a license uh, in the open market. So again, the lowest uh, is like a processor license where you don't do any growing. And you can get those for you know just over 100k, and then all the licenses in between uh, for for producers and processors go up to about 400k, and then uh, retailers. It just depends on your location. If you're in, you know, some podunk town, it's going to be a little bit cheaper. But like a, a Seattle, uh, Washington license in for retail is going to cost you somewhere between one and two million, maybe even three or four. So um, definitely like the the cost barriers are there now that the licensing is closed um, and was only open for a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, same thing. If you do have the money and you want a back, background check and buy buy in, the you have to have a criminal history that's, you know, mm-hmm. felonies over 10 years old, misdemeanors over three years old. If you don't have those, you're kind of in the clear. Um, you have to be a Washington state resident, which means you have to have lived here for at least six months. That's not actually the definition of a Washington state resident. It's just the requirements that they have. Um, the, the, the application fees are just a couple hundred bucks, which is, you know, nothing compared to all the other investments you have to make. And then, um, yeah, they do vet you financially. So if you're buying a license for $70,000, they're going to, uh, financially, they, they forensically actually vet that money and trace, trace it back to where it's coming from. The concern of the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board is that there's a, that there's a separation of church and state. So you can't be a producer processor on one side and also own retail. They don't allow for vertical integration whatsoever. Um, they refer to it as tied houses, which is a, a, an ancient 
um, uh, belief system from like the 20s and 30s that if you didn't, if you allowed distributors and retailers to work with producers and processors that you were inviting organized crime, which I don't believe even a little bit, but they still do. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, shit. I was going to say, pay. <laughs> pay to be brother man from the fifth floor in Washington. Shoot, man. <laughs> so like here, 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 here in Michigan, it's a $6,000 application fee. There's a medical and a recreational. Um, for medical, that was similar to like what Aaron's actually, it was, it was this financial forensic anal exam um, of your finances. Um, <laughs> That happened, and 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 you had to have a minimum of about three hundred thousand capitalization clean, um, and then there was the background check, and here it was uh, no misdemeanor uh, greater uh, or has to be at least five years um, or older, um, and the felony has to be at least uh, ten years aged, um, and then uh, then even at that there was this clause kind of with me was talking about earlier is that it's kind of vague of why they can't deny you. Um, you can still get denied based on character. Um, which, wow. you know, what, who, who defines character? Um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> so then at that point, yeah. Um, but when recreational came along, it's the same $6,000 application fee, but they removed the capitalization requirements. Um, and they, uh, changed, they actually removed the background penalties for your record. Um, anything that's marijuana related, um, they don't count it against you. Um, <laughs> So, uh, unless you sold to a minor, which seems to be consistent across um, mm -hmm. all states. So, yeah, so our recreational side kind of um, became more fair uh, for people to get involved. But then we still got the same issue, which seems to be everywhere, which is kind of finding that property. Because, um, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, it's all good. good you it was different, Earl, because there was more people pushing for social equity. Like all of our states have some version of that, but it's very backwards looking. It wasn't implemented at the time that recreational was implemented, but I noticed newer states are are considering that when they're when they're doing the process. Yeah, it was huge. I mean, for 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 example, I at one point, like a real quick timeline in, in, in Michigan, 2008 to 2015, it was just a natural caregiver market, um, natural medical market where caregivers assisting other caregivers. It was like kind of like a network or assisting their patients. And that's how a bunch of stores allowed to open up. You can grow 72 plants. You can possess for 15 um, or five patients. But who you could assist was well, as long as you had a card, I had a card, we can kind of help each other. And that's mm -hmm. how businesses organically, uh, it was actually a very robust medical market in that system. And then the, um, the state stepped in uh, to wanted to regulate the medical commercial market. And that's where the rules and regulations came in and that cut out a lot of small players, including myself. I actually had up to three stores at one point. Um, and then once the medical um, rules came in, it weeded me out to just one store. I went through the whole tough mutter obstacle fucking course going through the Amazon button naked, get my application to the board um, and got denied on character. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So end up uh, having to uh, just go back and uh, try to reinvent myself. Uh, open up like a, a private club. And now today I could apply the same way and get approved for recreational. So now I'm looking to get back into the game underneath recreational. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but a lot of people cried out to answer your question. The medical weeded out people wasn't fair. Um, you could see the writing on the wall and then the recreational came in and yeah, a lot of people kind of rallied up and made that more favorable uh, for social equity. So yeah. nice. Cool. 
Um, what would you say would be the first step as far as um, getting your business? I know um, you kind of talked about earlier, kind of what well, you want to have that property kind of lined up. Would you say that's kind of your first step if you're looking to, um, if you get pre-approved or you're looking to even get your application in, is the first kind of identifying property? Um, I know Aaron, yours is more limited to just finding that license type, but um, yeah. what about in, in, in California and Oregon? Is that kind of the first thing is find your property and then go? I would say most definitely yes, um, especially because in California, um, I was kind of talking about this earlier, um, but in California, you have to get local approval before the state will even give you their state license. Um, and that often means that that locale, that city or the county is going to issue their own version of their license. Um, and so you have to look at, um, and you know, those applications usually require you to have um, a property that's zoned in the right area that's you know outside of the buffer zones that is you know that's that's minimum a thousand feet from schools and parks and daycares and things like that um so really securing that first um, and making sure that that's even a viable location is going to be the first step um because finding <laughs> finding a locale that's even issuing licenses is also what's really difficult because there's so many cities and so many counties that have banned it um and they choose not to even touch cannabis with a 10-foot pole. So wow. <laughs> finding the city that is issuing a license, I think, is actually the first step. And then within that city or within that county, finding a property that's viable, it's zoned in the proper area and outside of those buffer zones is really going to be your next big step. Now, can, can if cities are, are, are opting out, can people come together and say, get something on a ballot in that city? For Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen, I've seen a couple places that you know, took the banning stance and then they opened up, you know, a year later or something like that. So, um, and there's also, I've also seen kind of um, <laughs> different examples of where a city would ban it within their ordinance, but then, you know, one specific applicant who really wanted to have a store would go on their own to the, to the city uh, council and say, hey, look, I want you to make an exception for me. Um, and it, it's worked a couple of times. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so kind yeah. of going, trying to lobby that city. Mm -hmm. okay. And, and it's really similar in Oregon. Uh, I won't rehash all of it, but um, one, we do have counties that can opt out uh, as well, and certain counties have opted out. Um, so, I mean, when you're, like, like I was saying before, you have to have, in order to get the application process, you have to have all of your property-related things in order. So that first, you have to make sure you're in a county that permits it. Second of all, um, you have to make sure you're zoned properly, um, either industrial or farm or agricultural or mixing something along those lines. Then you have to go to the um, local um, county or city authority and make sure that on top of the zoning that they're they're comfortable with the type of business that you're doing, you know, the way it's laid out and things like that. And if they are, then they'll give you the, a, a, it's a land use certificate. We call it a LUX uh, here. And you're required to submit that with your application to the to the state and then um and then yeah beyond that um before you do all that you're and and as part of the application process you're going to have to submit the actual legal document the lease or the uh deed of the property showing that you own it to get the the state regulators to review your license and uh, um, appoint an inspector to it so it's pretty much the same Pretty much the same process there but it's a i think it's a little less intrusive than california because they're not actually granting you like a local 
cannabis license. It's it's literally just focused on getting the zoning right and the um, local ordinances uh, and permitting um, stuff in place. But it all comes down to the property, really. Okay. Okay. Now, Aaron, can um, can we get more licenses in Washington? Can is there? Uh, there, there, there is a social equity program that's coming up. Um, they haven't clarified what the rules are, but yeah, it's whatever's available in the free market is what you what, what's out there. So, um, you're when you're buying a license, unless you want to move to a new location, oftentimes you're you're also buying into the lease of the location that you're at. And then, not that zoning and lo local ordinances make for riveting um, uh, <laughs> videos, but I would only add that <laughs> the sophisticated uh, software that the liquor and cannabis uses to figure out whether you're within a thousand feet of a school or a public park or something like that is actually just Google maps. And they literally just measure it with little points, uh, wow. feet is, yeah. which is, and, and it's by the crow flies. It's not like I'm going to walk a thousand feet and figure out what, what's it. You, you have to just do it by the crow fly. So it's a straight line, thousand feet. Any tips on finding property? Um, Ted or Mia? Uh, I don't. Yeah. Know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would say in California, I mean, I with I mean, with any industry, there's going to be sketchy people, obviously, but um, there are also a lot of um, trustworthy people that um, focus solely on cannabis property. Um, so, really finding somebody who is knowledgeable with. Um, the, you know, the specifications of a cannabis property, those buffer zones and the zonings and things like that um, to really help you out to find those prop to find, you know, where you could actually grow um, is probably going to be a huge asset to you. Yeah, and I would, I would recommend the same thing, like a, a, a broker who there emerged a few sort of real estate, commercial real estate brokers that uh, specialize in the cannabis industry and they can they're they tend to be probably the most effective at, at pointing people to the right locations. But, uh, but Earl, the real answer is, uh, call me after this, uh, after this. I'm going to look on Craigslist, Ted. And see yeah. what <laughs> <laughs> Just close my eyes and see what happens. Okay. Now, let's say we, we were so blessed to have this property. Uh, I am curious now, what are some of the requirements? Would you say just off some normal requirements for that building um is it like certain like fire safety paint um i mean can you operate while you are uh, well you got i guess finish your permit i guess i kind of answered that question um out loud you can't really operate until you finish this whole process is that right right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um but is, is there is, you have to have your build out complete uh before they come in and kind of check off and say okay it's, you yeah. can go here you have to be able to show where all the walls are, where all the cameras are. Um, I don't know if they get into like some of the more nuanced things that like a grower or like a master grower would know, like this is terrible drainage or you've got, um, I don't think that they get involved in the the business plan as much, but they do want to know like where all your walls, doors, security, cameras, the things that that, that matter to them is, is about kind of making sure that it stays within the closed loop of the system. Mm -hmm. So in California, I will say it's a little different. Um, it is a little bit more, not invasive, but it is a little more cumbersome because they, you know, a lot of these, um, your facility has to be, you have to submit a site plan of your entire facility. Um, and a lot of these cities and a lot of counties require you actually to hire an architect or somebody who, 
is experienced in drawing up site plans that are exactly to scale to really point out exactly where you know where the rooms are and where um, where you're going to keep storage of your hazardous materials if you're going to use pesticides and things like that is really um, they have to be very detailed. <laughs> um, and so they do, and you know, California has the environmental quality or the environmental quality act. Um, and you have to either be, you have to either waive or be in a place that's waived that kind of requirement, or you have to get a specialist to really look at the land and make sure that, um, you're in compliance with that Environmental Quality Act. So um, they look at, you know, the watersheds and where your drain flows and where it, it's it's a whole it's a whole thing. <laughs> so yeah. And, and as you can probably imagine, Oregon is kind of the bare bones skeleton of what is in California and Washington. I mean, the, the, the you do have to have like the Google Map printout that you submit, and then you have to draw on there where the buildings are going to be and all that sort of stuff. But really. Uh, I, I haven't known them to get into a lot of uh, environmental concerns or even water rights or anything like that. They seem to be mainly focused on making sure that uh, from a security perspective, where the cameras are going to go and make sure that the spaces are actually enclosed and fenced off and things like that. And that's pretty much as far as they go. Now, yeah. are there are there inspectors that are coming out to, to, mm -hmm. to double check things? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. After you. That's after actually, that's sorry, that's another thing about California is that they, California also cares a lot about security. Um, literally every corner of your facility has to be visible from a camera. Um, and a lot of the times, those security, and you have to submit a security plan that shows where the cameras are, like who, if you're going to have security enforcement, um, like patrolling the facility you have to say you have to tell what hours they're going to be there and how long they're going to or where the screens are for each of the monitors for those cameras and that plan has to be drafted by a security specialist so <laughs> again that's another member you have to add to your team to <laughs> wow. draft something for your application sounds like i'm just gonna open up a jimmy johns man hey <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i mean i'm not gonna say it's better but it might be easier <laughs> Like, good Lord, man, security, yeah. all this stuff. Okay, okay, okay. Um, now, the, the business, I mean, shoot, it sounds like there's not much business documents over there, Ted, with uh, with Oregon besides your application and kind of your uh, lease agreement or w whatever you have for the property. Yep. You said they're yep. not even looking for a business plan, right? No, no, they really don't. It's just the a map of the location and the security details and the, the uh, lease and the land use certificate. That's pretty much it. And the background check. Wow, wow. What about in California? You got to have like a, I guess I'm asking because I mean, the cost of doing this seems like you probably need, you know, <laughs> just to get through the application process, you know, 50 to 100,000. So oh, it's yeah. like, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, yeah, you have to, especially with cultivation, you do have to submit, I mean, um, it, again, this kind of depends on the locale. It depends on the city and the county and what they require. Um, but also at the state level, they do require something that resembles a business operations plan. Um, you have to have like a waste plan, you have to have a security plan, you have to have a site plan, you have to have um, really the entire, I mean, the entire application really has to detail exactly how you're gonna run the business. Um, and it, it, yeah, so there, there's a lot that goes into it. Now, is, is that something, it's not a selfish plug, but is this something that you guys help assist with as far as the applications, if someone's looking to get into the business is this where you guys come in as well yeah yeah for sure um it's i i mean i 
I can't stress enough that it's a collaborative thing, especially because it has to be specific with how the um, without the actual application or without with how the actual business is going to be run. Um, so it's collaborative with the client. It's collaborative with you know whoever's going to be um, drafting their security plan and their site plan um, and everything like that. So it's it's really a team effort. Um, but as far as being able to draft um, whatever we can help with to make it. To at least make sure that they're, you know, minim at least minimally compliant um, with their business plan and things like that. That's definitely something that I help clients with. What about you, Ted? Uh, this is going to be a weird answer, but uh, yeah, we can <laughs> help with it. But I, I always try and talk my clients out of it because, like, why do they need to pay my billable rate to draw right. on a Google map where the buildings are going to be? Uh, it's really that you know, non-invasive uh, enough that uh, I can help. And what we do do is we we help them with the lease and the filings with the Secretary of State and setting up their entities and things like that. But the actual application uh, is, is, is not, it's only like six pages long or whatever. And most of it is stuff that is exclusively you know, would be known only to the the operator itself. So I, you know, I, I usually just try and get them to fill that information in, and then we um, can package it up or review it or edit it or or whatever. But it's it's. I mean, I wouldn't imagine. I, I can't imagine doing that sort of thing in California, but in in Oregon, that's the practical reality of kind of how we do it. Yeah, Washington's about the same. We we do do it for people that have more money than time. But I mean, I've seen. You know, I've had, uh, and also sometimes people just want to know what's going to get through the first time without any mistakes. Mm -hmm. A mistake can cost you 30 days. You know, mm -hmm. if you do something wrong or, or put it in wrong and people don't have that kind of, because they're paying on a lease or something. They're like, I do not want this. I want this to go through right the first time. Um, and, and when you're dealing with bureaucrats, sometimes people just want that support. But I, I, I have seen, you know, stoners that, that grow weed in their mom's basement, get this done and without, you know, without any formal education whatsoever and, and get it done. So it's not, it's not incredibly difficult at all. And that's not to speak poorly about stoners. I'm just saying like, it's, it's not hard. And by the way, I've also seen CEOs screw it up. Um, guys that go to like Fortune 500 companies and like uh, completely screw this up. So, I mean, there's both sides of that coin. Okay. Here in Michigan, you, you, it's actually, it's a little bit more intense, like a six, you can get like 600 pages and but get all the, the the biggest thing is yeah any of those little mistakes could uh, draw could set a lot of things back. So a lot of people do hire attorneys here. Um, it's like man, you just want a blend of all of this. You like you want the open market of Oregon, but you want the ease of that. But you want properties from here. Like, mm -hmm. Okay. We talk to each other all the time. We say you got it so much better, and they're like, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give some. Um, some last bit of advice here, step-by-step uh, step to success uh, throughout your your state. So, I mean, if if I'm, say I'm in California and I'm looking to get into the grow business, I'm looking to come from a home grower um, and looking to become a grower, uh, could you give me your step-by-step -step, uh, play, Neil? Sure. Um, so as I mentioned before, you definitely want to find a city or a county that's issuing licenses because there's plenty of places that don't issue licenses. Um, and so, you know, once you find that, then you want to find your property. Um, and then once you find your property, then you want to get started on your application um, and really digesting um, the application process is going to be immensely helpful, um, especially in trying to figure out your build out times or just 
you know, the times that you want to reserve um, for the entire process, um, including how long it takes for them to process, you know, for, for the city to process the application itself also um, is something that you want to be able to um, calculate for, because if you're not going to own the building, then you are most likely going to be paying rent on that building. So, um, and that's, <laughs> you're paying rent on a building that you haven't even gotten the approval to build out yet or gotten the approval to um, operate in. So it's, you're kind of paying rent on an open space. <laughs> um, so definitely trying to budget um, and really figure out what your costs are gonna be, um, the timeframes um, for the entire process, um, and then really getting in the nitty gritty of figuring out how you want to run your business. Um, there's a lot of cities also that require you to submit something that um, is really arbitrary, but they, they want you to submit some way that your business is going to be different than how other businesses are run and this this uniqueness of your business is why you should get a license um and so it really requires you to appeal um to the market or to the holes in the market or for whatever it is um you really have to please these regulators <laughs> in order to get a license um so <laughs> i would say as if you can be i mean if you have the time and if you have the money be as thorough as you can in your in your application um, and really plan out um, every part of the application so that you will get it the first time. Got it, thank you, thank you. Um, Ted, any yep, steps? We're going to the exact opposite of that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as you can probably guess. I mean, it, almost no one's application gets denied, uh, frankly, and it's very much a sort of it's up to you how you run your business and things like that. So my my step by step would be um, find a property first of all, or if you want to buy an existing license, we we do. You know there is a resale market like there is in Washington, even though there you can you can get both new licenses and uh, buy buy licenses from other people. Um, get that locked down. Then the next step I would say is um, because because I, I don't. One, the chance of your application not being approved is pretty low. And two, the application process is not that extensive or expensive. Uh, I, I would focus on building your team out right uh, after you've got the property. And by that, I mean, reach out to a, I mean, selfish plug, reach out to a law firm that knows what they're doing in this uh, area so that they can point you into shortcuts or, you know, th th help you navigate the process and be efficient in that. And it won't cost you a lot to have those initial consults and, and talk to people about that. So I would, I would say that. And second of all, you know, the, when you're building out your, your team, really look at people who have the, the right skill set to have a complete team. Uh, sometimes people who uh, are great master growers or cultivators are not great business people. And a lot of times people who are good business people don't really understand this industry and 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 how it works and so you know because Oregon is so lax in not even reviewing the business plans uh, it's kind of incumbent on you to get the right team in place and uh, and 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 build it from there because the odds are you'll you'll end up with a license but it's not going to succeed unless you've built a, a high quality uh, uh, team to to do that so that would, that would be my advice. One thing to get is one thing to keep it right. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Washington, you need a suitcase full of money. <laughs> but, but like Ted said, though, you know, it really, you know, like uh, about 40 to 60 percent of the work we do um, now at the firm isn't helping people. It's not making the dream. It's seeing the dream fall apart. 
So I would say, you know, it's finding those partners because like Ted said, you know, um, there's, you know, the, the, the partnership disputes and, and, the, and, the, and the conflicts that come from people that see the world in a different way is pretty common. So if you're going to pick somebody that's going to finance you because you want to enter into a market where you don't have a lot of competition, but you got to buy these really expensive licenses to play, then that, then that means if you're going to find somebody to back you, that you've got to pick the right people. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean your family either, because they can be the worst. So, you know, uh, choose wisely. That's what's up. That's what's up. And I, I'll do a, a quick step-by-step -step in Michigan, the fourth state up in here. You know, I got to represent. Um, I would say step one would be if you do apply for social equity or you qualify for social equity, um, apply for that, step one. doesn't cost anything. It's a one-page application. That's probably about the only thing that's similar to Oregon that we have here. It's a very simple social equity application. Uh, step two is to get pre-qualified. Now, there's a lot of Step 2A, 2B, 2C, 2D, 2E to, uh, to get pre-qualified. Uh, but I would say get pre-qualified. Um, and then step three, building that team um, and finding that property uh, will be in step three. Um, and then you finish the step four, you finish the second part of the application. And then hopefully get your license. So that's kind of a fourth step here in Michigan. And uh, yeah, you still you need like a, a backpack of money. I wouldn't say a briefcase. But <laughs> <laughs> duffel bag. Yeah, yeah. You will need a duffel bag. Well, this has been this has been awesome. Um, any any final um, advice uh, that you can think of for growers? Maybe uh, I know we talk a lot about property and about zoning. Is there a commonality that you see where they do um, kind of if a, if a city does eventually kind of opt in, they may opt it out first because they're for madness. They think everybody's going to be raping each other if they smoke weed. Um, <laughs> That that then they notice, hey, it's okay, it's all good. Um, <laughs> the city opposite. Is there certain um, zoning areas like industrial or anything that you can think of to give people a quick tip on how to find a property? Um, it it kind of depends on if you're going to do indoor outdoor or outdoor, or if you're going to do it within a city, or if you're going to do it within an unincorporated area. Um, so I mean, most of the time you want to look for it. Like you said, um, industrial zoning, you want to look for um, some places allow light industrial zoning, um, agricultural zoning. I think those are going to be the three that, um, at least in California, that are more likely to um, allow cannabis grows. Yeah, in, in Oregon, it's um, it's business, industrial, uh, agricultural, depending upon what you're doing. But what don't don't do residential. Don't do it in your kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing that no, I don't think anywhere allows. <laughs> that's a universal for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know what? My solution after all this, when you guys were thinking or when you guys were talking, I was thinking. I'm sorry, I had to light up for a little bit. Um, yeah, you good. Good. So. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking, you know, if all this is so tough and so hard and we want it to include people into this industry and not exclude, if that's the true goal here mm -hmm. is inclusion, then there should be like a home occupation license of, you know, say 75 to 100 plants. Truly, there's this home occupation license that mm -hmm. certain individuals can qualify for. Um, you grow these plants out of your house. You can still pass inspections. You already got the property, so you don't have to go buy something. You don't have to go find something. Um, you may still need cameras or, you know, certain fire safety things. You still get inspected, get improved, and then you allow them to deliver. Um, and, and maybe just, you know, safety things with that. Or maybe you allow them to sell to other growers or sell to other mm -hmm. processors or retail stores. Yeah, 
that was my high thought there. Huh? Oregon's <laughs> almost there though. Like Ted, Ted can tell you. I think that they allow them to have like six plants in Oregon, Ted. Yep. And then I think you can, and if you get your stuff tested, you can sell it to the dispensaries, which is actually pretty awesome. I think the most liberal state in that regards. Wow, I mean, six I plants is not much. It's like you said, like right. if I want to make a living off of this and, and actually bring as many people as possible into the industry, it would be, I, I, but I, I always thought that you should regulate this like tomatoes, yeah. um, not plutonium, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, I got you guys contact information up there. Um, I got Aaron at Cotova Law. I got Ted at Cotova Law. I got, am I saying it right? Is it me, y'all? Am I saying it right? That's right. Freaking, I'm a, I can read very well. Look at that. Um, <laughs> I got that going on there. Um, oh, this has been awesome. I mean, you guys seem like a great, chill um, group of attorneys. Usually some of them could be a little uptight. Um, <laughs> yep. Thank you guys for being so down to earth and uh, been having so much fun with me. Um, any Any final words? Any final thoughts? No, it's been great. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, no, thanks for having us. Really enjoyed the discussion. Awesome. That's been great. I will, awesome. Awesome. I'll I will give you guys a copy of this. And uh, that wraps up this show. I will see you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, on other YouTube series or Facebook Live or Instagram, whatever social crap we're doing these days. Um, we'll do that. And uh, yeah, I, I don't even have an outro. I feel like I should have like an <laughs> peace out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, y'all. Have a good one, Thank man. you. All right, everybody, peace out. Thank you. Have a good Bye. One. Thanks for listening to the Cannabis Therapy Podcast. For more Cannabis Therapy blogs and resources, check our website, CannabisTherapyNetwork.org. CannabisTherapyNetwork.org.